Hello everyone and welcome to Synesthesia, a podcast about the creatives who shape the aesthetics of music. We chat to the artists behind the record sleeves, videos, photo shoots and stylings of the freshest new sounds, exploring how contemporary culture, fashion, illustration and design reflect and enhance the musical experience. Music has always been our passion and remains an integral part of our lives. That's why we decided to put together this podcast, which we called Synesthesia, because we perceive music not only with our ears, but also with our eyes. Synesthesia, the artist behind the artist. Hi everyone and welcome to Synesthesia episode number 24. Only one more to go. I'm Enrico and this time around we are off to the seaside. We jump on a train from London Bridge to Brighton to dip into the dark amusement world of Sophie Hollington, illustrator, visual artist and guitarist. She plays for the band Novella. Most of you must already know Sophie for her relief prints created using the process of lino cutting. Besides her craftsmanship, in this lengthy and meticulous technique, Sophie is renowned for the themes she explores in her prints. She experiments with mystic, hazy universes, touching topics such as meteoric folklore, alchemical symbolism, medieval tales, French tarots, and classic myths and legends. Sophie can't remember it because she must have taken part in hundreds of fairs where she met just as many people, but I still recall the first encounter with her and her prints on the occasion of an independent art fair at Epic Dalston in 2014-2015 maybe, one of those happenings we used to take part in in the past decade, you know. There will be no point to list uh, the countless leading magazines and brands she has collaborated with. I will drop just a few names like the New York Times, the New Yorker, Penguin and Nike. Also, her distinguishing bespoke typeface is on the cover of a Creative Review's May issue. So let's go straight to today's core. Sophie is here to chat about her career path, her main cultural influences, her taste in music and most notably her collaborations with bands such as Printed Shrines, Django Django, Kruang Bean and The National. I feel like I've already talked enough, so it's about time to greet her. Hey Sophie, how are you? Welcome to Synesthesia. Hi Enrico, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I just mentioned that uh, you designed Creative Review's latest issues cover. How was it? Yeah, yeah, it was a fun one because it was quite kind of a simple brief in that um, they just wanted it to be kind of you know typographic and sometimes it's nice to just sort of like put your you know you don't have to do too much thinking it's just about sort of sculpting the kind of the forms of the letters and making them sort of fit in the space which is very satisfying and I only heard about I think I only had a week to do it. It was kind of the 2021 like, annual. The words on the front were the winners. They were sort of companies. So I'm assuming this was the very last brief you worked on. Now for the beginning of the show, we need to go back in time. I know that you graduated from the UAL Camberwell College in 2011. Yeah, that's right. Um, I studied illustration, uh, just the BA there which I really enjoyed. It was a good one. How would you define your experience at uni? Really positive. They kind of encouraged sort of, I guess what you would say, kind of lateral thinking in terms of kind of what illustration is. And they were always kind of trying to get you to kind of look at other practices and explore other practices and sometimes kind of do anything except illustrating, which some people found really frustrating. But I think, you know, overall, I think it kind of, um, it really worked for me. And while I kind of like, when I came out of the course, I kind of didn't really know who I was yet as an illustrator. And that took me quite a long time to sort of hone that down. It got me kind of thinking a lot more. And I think 
you know who I am today is um, I'm a lot happier with that probably because I had to really I knew I, I learned how to think about stuff properly I guess that's maybe what they taught us. We know for sure that you have a passion for ancient illustrated books, Greek myths, medieval stories and folk tales. Did you develop this passion since your teenage years at university or later on in life? I think probably a bit later on actually. My work I found kind of always uh, drawn to obviously sort of narrative, you know, that's kind of illustration and, and literature kind of obviously go hand in hand. And I remember really enjoying kind of doing book illustration, um, like adult book illustration as a, um, when I was at university. But yeah, it wasn't until a bit later on, maybe when I did my kind of my first self-initiated kind of project that I really got my teeth into. But I feel like really was the kind of the springboard for where I am now is this, do you know Tan and Loose Press? Um, Clay Hickson's press based in LA like a little riso press he, he makes these publications he was like oh you know do you want to do a zine and so I did a zine called my mind hides a friendly crater that was based around myths and legends kind of from all over the world based on meteorites and what ancient cultures kind of supposed that they were I've always been fascinated with cosmic stuff and meteorites and asteroids and, and things like that and had a kind of a bit of a fear like a a real fear of those when I was a kid actually like all the kind of Armageddon films and um, you know coming out in the kind of late 90s I wanted to make a zine sort of based around that fear in a way and then the kind of the folklore felt like a really good way of illustrating that yeah just those two things kind of combined and then in the end I've ended up sort of I suppose focusing more on on kind of on folklore and um, and looking at the stories again rather than uh, spending too much time looking at um, into space. Would you say that your creative output from this point of view has evolved parallel to your inner soul? Sort of, yeah. I mean, I hadn't really ever thought about it like that, but I think you're I think you're right. And I think that you know when you create a world visually that kind of flows out of you, you kind of have to invent it internally as well. And that comes from all of the you know everything that you read and everything that you look at. I'm obviously more of a sort of visual person, so I'm sort of collecting things with my eyes usually. But, I, you know, stuff that I read massively influences the stuff that I draw sometimes. And like I say, I, like I love to read things and then especially when something's really visually descriptive in literature and then to sort of try and, uh, you know, manifest that in a drawing somehow. It's a really good way of, of coming up with sort of unique stuff or stuff that surprises you. And the kind of books you were reading. I would like to go deeper into your cultural influences before college. What kind of uh, music, books, movies, TV shows were you influenced by? I grew up in London and then moved down to Brighton to the coast when I was 11 and sort of was a teenager here, went to school here. There's a really big sort of 60s revival scene in Brighton and it always has been. And I kind of got involved in that in quite a big way with some of the you know people that I met at, at kind of college and stuff. And so we used to kind of dress up like, you know, all 60s with nylon dresses and white tights and hairspray and kind of go to all these modern 60s garage nights. You know, I got really into all the San Francisco poster artists around then, like Victor Scoso and like Rick Griffin. And I used to like copy their posters in Biro, like in my diary and on the back of my kind of um, worksheets at school. Yeah, um, I was about to draw this parallel between Brighton and Berkeley. Yeah, yeah, they are. They're kind of, there's a similar 
Brighton-ish thing going on. I mean, I think people in Brighton probably would like that more than maybe the people in San Francisco. But yeah, it's very liberal, it's by the sea. I guess in Brighton it's more of a mod sort of thing that's lingered here, you know, like quadrophenia and all that, um, rather than the kind of psychedelic stuff that you, you kind of get more of in San Francisco. But but there's, there's I guess there's a kind of a, a feeling of like liberty in Brighton, which, yeah, which lingers. So that was the subculture you belonged to as a teenager? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. You know, there weren't that many of us in at school um, who were into that, but we were a little, quite of a close-knit little gang and we all used to kind of wear those clothes and stuff. Music-wise, what were you listening to? The Gateway Drug was the like Nuggets and Pebbles compilations, which kind of got me into the sort of like the idea of you know collecting rare um singles and stuff like that obviously i didn't have the money to be able to do that but then kind of like bigger bands like more like well loved bands who sort of, of that ilk i guess um love I've, i've always been a favorite of mine and i one of the kind of first bands that i really got obsessed with 13th floor elevators the birds that, that kind of thing how has your style in music evolved across the years i mean i hate to say it but there hasn't been i mean i'm still listening to that stuff and i still love that stuff when i went to university i probably branched out a bit and started listening to a lot more stuff probably more sort of like 80s kind of electronic stuff as well i've always you know whilst that i got really obsessed with all the 60s stuff like i've always listened to quite a broad spectrum of music like it's usually usually old music like i've never really um been kind of hot on on chasing you know new new acts or new artists which i've is a bit shameful actually so but yeah but I mean I've always like been dipping out of kind of all, all kind of eras I guess in different genres when I, I formed um, my band in 2010 I think it was my last year of uni when we first got together we were listening to a lot of Stereo Lab and My Buddy Valentine now we know the music uh, that shaped uh, your uh, style up until now how about visual artists you mentioned uh, the san francisco psychedelic posters from the 60s but do you have any other fine arts masters kind of more recently i've been looking at kind of medieval stuff and renaissance stuff so i guess specifically kind of the dutch uh, like flemish painters so um van eyck and bruegel and Hieronymus Bosch and like really zooming in on the kind of the you know the expressions of the, the kind of characters faces and like what's actually going on because <laughs> sometimes when you look at the kind of the whole you know the whole scene that sort of stuff um is massively sort of um influenced me kind of in the last kind of three two three years maybe just like looking a lot at alchemical um which often it's hard to kind of attribute the artist the art to the artist because it's so kind of old sometimes and kind of the birth of like symbolism and where those like archetypes will come from talking about symbolism you love a tarot well i mean i guess maybe the embarrassing thing is that i don't actually read tarot like i've never sat down with a deck and really apart from when i was a teenager um like really tried to do it i guess it's something that i see other people <laughs> doing and that i'm creating the deck for them you know to enable them to do it the reason that i did that project actually was i was sort of messing around with just the imagery which is which i you know i've always loved the tarot like the way that the classic tarot cards look the the rider weight um cards Um, which I think are the ones that most people sort of know. Rough Trade Books got in contact and, and asked me if I wanted to do a deck with them um, in collaboration with a writer. 
um, who'd written this this kind of pamphlet and every chapter was titled with a tarot card and so I would then then I you know made a, a tarot card based on the writing in in this pamphlet so it was more kind of serendipitous in a way do you have a, a favorite tarot card I really like the fool I really like the sort of naive optimism of the fool and actually that it's a really joyful card even though it sounds quite um, sad <laughs> you know that the first time in my life I had a tarot reading the first yeah. card that came up was the fool that's such a really Yes, weird, weird coincidence. Oh, that's nice to hear. <laughs> so we talked uh, tarot, uh, music you listen to. We talked about the artists uh, who have been uh, influencing you in the past few years. Now I would like to talk about the first music-related brief you worked on, if you can remember it. I can help you because uh, <laughs> I scrolled down your Instagram page up until 2015 and I saw that the very first music-related thing you shared was a t-shirt for the Shuttlewell Arms which is also one of my favorite venues in London. Yeah so I was when I was in my band we used to just play there I mean almost every weekend it was ridiculous <laughs> and I became really fond of it as well and um, got to know the promoters there and stuff so that's why I ended up doing the t-shirt and that's when yeah I think I had just started to work kind of quite consistently in lino at that point so I was really sort of kind of experimenting and, and didn't really know what I was doing but it seemed to be kind of working but I, that wasn't actually the first ever um, music sort of brief that I ever did I think like I mean in Brighton my boyfriend when I was a teenager used to run a club night called Contort Yourself based on um, and used to play kind of like no wave stuff like you know James Chant and like that kind of whole like New York sort of punk like yeah no wave post-punk kind of scene and so I used to do all the flyers for those I guess that was the first ever music brief I did. You mentioned that New York punk scene and one question that I had was in terms of aesthetics what's the music scene that relates the most to your artworks especially your recent one? Instinctively I associate the natural imperfections and rough texture of lino cutting to hardcore despite <laughs> the refined process behind it. Yeah it's pretty bold and brassy isn't it I know um, and I think that's why one of the reasons I sort of like it is because I think I'm not actually really as a person my sensibilities don't sort of really go there so it kind of forces me to sort of you know embody that a bit but I guess I think I probably kind of say it's more sort of like that kind of late 60s kind of experimental folk um, sort of psychedelic kind of kind of stuff. It's kind of where it's like it's looking to the to the past in a big way, but it's kind of funneling it through a filter to sort of make it feel fresh. It will be really interesting to know how the universe of your futuristic visual folk days, as Metal Magazine described them in a recent interview, and Tarot, your two main symbolic realms, interplay with music. I want to know about the process in which you bring this symbolism to your music related artworks i guess it depends what kind of brief it is like if it's an album cover or if it's a like a poster and usually if it's an album cover i'll ask to um i'll ask for the kind of the lyrics 
like you know as many lyrics as possible they feel comfortable with sharing with me and then I can kind of try and take images out of out of those in a way so it's kind of a bit more you know so it feels relevant basically and I'm getting something as well as listening to the record obviously you are the first artist who's mentioning lyrics as the first person of inspiration to work on a cover I can see where you're coming from since your main interest is still in tales and stories I just think it's really helpful to have the the lyrics written out in front of you you know as I mean when I used to write um, songs I remember people like uh, who was it someone used to take piss out of me and call my when I'd like written down lyrics like call them little poems which used to really annoy me but it's you know it's true they are they are kind of poems aren't they and there's something about sort of having them written out in their in their verses and their choruses you know I don't know you can kind of it allows me to sort of see where the song is going uh, you know if I'm listening to it at the same time and see what's important and what it hangs off and what what it visually hangs off um, in a way that maybe you can't when you are just listening. How did you apply this uh, creative process, uh, this way of thinking to Printed Shrines, uh, new albums cover, Heaven and Holy? This is probably really upsetting, but actually that piece of art, it already existed. They actually approached me and they were like, oh, we this, this, you know, this piece really resonates with us. We'd like to use it for this album cover. So I didn't actually make it specifically for them, so this process didn't happen for that image, actually. And the image was made like a, a yogurt company for their, for their like Christmas gift um, to go on t-shirts I think that they gave out to their employees so it's quite different. It's interesting though because we see a lot of your recurrent uh, visual themes and elements like uh, the apple, the dog, the hand, the columns, the celestial objects, the dove or is it a raven? Uh, uh, yeah. I think you're right, I think it's just a bird. I don't think it's anything that one but yeah it's totally um, and I think the reason for that being was that it's, it was a really open brief like they were just like we just want something that looks good do you know what I mean and that happens a lot I think when you're a commercial artist and that can often leave you feeling a bit uninspired which is why it's so important for you to have this kind of toolkit of, of, of visual sort of symbols and signs and things that you feel, can feel excited about. One more thing about uh, semiotics and symbols uh, in your um, artworks What's the favorite um, thing to draw for you? Whenever I've got like a, a, you know, a pen and a paper and I'm on the phone or something and I'm doodling, I always draw a horse and I was one of those, you know, those girls who was like obsessed with horses when I was about eight or nine until I was about 12, I guess. And just like really, really obsessed. And I would just, I would just draw them all day, every day. I was kind of drawing like photographic horses by the time I was about 12. And I still, I just still love drawing a horse. Just love it. So now we know that it wasn't uh, your idea, but you just uh, reinterpreted it. Uh, didn't you change anything in the composition? Uh, no, not for that one. It's quite hard for me to, to change things actually because of, because of the lino and how kind of then restricted the composition becomes. So you can kind of move things around a little bit. But I think I adjusted the colours and then obviously I did the, the type and so I hand carved that and did that kind of separately and then um, and on the back of that record, the, the whole um, track list is, is um, hand-carved and it kind of covers the whole back of the record, so it's quite sort of, um, it's pretty bold. 
Let's focus on the type because I reckon it's one of the most distinctive features of your work. Do you create bespoke typefaces for every artwork you design? Yeah, pretty much. So everything is always hand carved. Very rarely will kind of like duplicate things, you know, to make my life easier. <laughs> for some reason, I don't do that. But I think it's, you know, even though maybe it's kind of the same typeface in my head I'm doing I'm kind of making minute sort of changes along the way and there'll be sort of little things that I'm changing like for instance the painted shines one I met that was a lot more I was doing some kind of more psychedelic stuff I think than I would normally because it just really worked with their music when we see your typeface it's clear that it's made by you I mean so much of it comes out of just the process and the restrictions of the lino you know and it's very easy with lino to kind of get a ruler and just slice big strips which give you these kind of perfect letter height bars which you can then carve each letter out of you know but then becomes quite sort of I guess neat like in a way that it, it just wouldn't be if I was trying to uh, draw it all out in a pen so that's something I don't I don't know where it came from probably like you know like I said all that kind of um all the psychedelic stuff that I was looking at when I was a teenager and copying probably has a huge influence on me to do the tarot deck I used a Moscoso font then after doing so many cards I, I ended up just you know I can just draw that just by hand now really easily <laughs> so uh, yes I think copying helps um, as long as you then funnel it into you know your own personal boy. How about color? How do you approach it? Obviously black is very important because basically I never do multicolor prints. I always, the lino, I, I cut it, print it in black and then scan it in and then kind of all the color I add digitally. Um, so black's always going to be the sort of the main composition. I've just learned that choosing, you know, a handful, usually no more than kind of five quite bright colors to kind of compete with the back black, that kind of works best really. When you were talking about your creative process, you mentioned that the first thing you do is uh, you read the lyrics. Did you do the same? when you work for the tour posters for bands like The National, Django Django and Crew and Bean? I don't for posters. Posters are actually, they're fun because they, obviously album covers, they mean such a lot to that to that band and they have to say something and everyone's got to you know management label band all have to be in agreement and this is working and they can be quite sort of fraught sometimes to work on lots of sort of opinions but with a poster it's much more ephemeral you know it's kind of just one event they just again like they just want something that looks cool and that people are going to buy i always enjoy kind of how open those briefs are and you can kind of just then dip into your little toolkit listen to the band get a general feel for what they're going for or not um, and then just do something that you think looks great i'm gonna pick my favorite one among the three of them the crew bean one shall we talk about it yeah they're really you know up on on getting kind of new artists to do work for them i think they have this sort of um like a cosmic sort of feel to their sort of general visual vibe they like exploring sort of out of space and combining that with a kind of pastoral farmy texas thing i remember laura saying that in um in an email in the brief and the show was in holland that's why the tulip combined with the kind of like landing they're they're in a comet and they're kind of coming in they're like landing in this comet like a kind of spaceship in i guess 
the Netherlands for the show. That was it, really. Their sound is uh, mystic to a certain extent, like your artworks. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like they, they, they pinpointed that. Do you work only with bands that gravitate towards your universe? Because all of them have something in common, I will say. Yeah, that's fair. And I think, yeah, probably because most of the time it's, you know, I'm not contacting the bands, they're sort of contacting me. So it's usually that they're, they're kind of seeing something in my work that resonates with them rather than, um, you know, the other way around, even though obviously it does work the other way around as well. Um, and I'm very happy that it does. <laughs> with the first column of the show. Word on the street. We imagine future collaborations. I would like to know whether there are any fresh bands slash musicians you would like to work with. I'm really bad at, at like being on the beat with new music, but they're not even like new. This is the thing, they're really old probably, but a band called Beat, they're still playing, which <laughs> which I think um, is a valid. They're one of my favorite, favorite bands. Yeah, it's Jeff Barrow from um, Portishead, who's his band, and they've like released a bunch of albums that I just love. So if they ever want to hit me up, that'd be great. Also, Kona Moccasin, he's another one, someone who's still playing, who I really adore. And um, a band called Bitch and Bajas. They're based in America they're sort of a uh, I think west coast I think and they use kind of analog synths to create this kind of really cool ambient sort of drone music I'm gonna check them out for sure how about visual artists anyone you rate at the moment any shout out yeah someone who's been doing some work I really like illustration wise is a guy called Roberts Ruins, I think that's his name, but you know it's like with Instagram. He creates these kind of these really beautiful hand painted, I think using like gouache uh, illustrations. He did all the kind of the book review, uh, summer book review illustrations for the New York Times. I think that's where I, I caught his work. Another person is Oda Iselin Sonderland, and she's I think she's Norwegian. She's a painter. She does these incredible watercolors. Um, you should definitely look at her work. Check out the recommendations from Sophie Hollington. We will share them also on our Instagram page, synesthesia underscore podcast. Go and follow us. Sophie, time for our second column. Private collection. We need to go back in time. Tell us about a music video slash record sleeve from the past that has left a mark on you. I would have to say The Birds, Sweetheart of the Rodeo and Michael Hurley Records, all his sleeves. I think it's just that thing of having a really compelling hand-drawn artwork on sleeves, you know, instead of photographs. With those ones, I just kind of imagine flicking through a rack and I remember having moments um, with both of those actually where, you know, I was like, oh, what's this? It just, it just instantly felt sort of compelling in a way that maybe something that's photographic can't be. <laughs> I can see also from this answer your obsession with the craftsmanship and art as a process in itself. Yeah, I think I've, I've got a lot of admiration um, for people that just knuckle down and take the time to kind of really better themselves in that regard. Just to give our audience an idea of the time you spend on certain projects, how long did it take to create the Kruang Bean poster we just talked about? I think about a week. So that, and that includes sort of sketching. I think I only did one sketch for that. It was really easy, which was good. I think it was just a day to carve it um, and print it. And then you scan it in and color it. And that was probably another day. So yeah, I think like overall, like, 
in between throughout the other bits. It's about a week. You will never consider to switch to digital illustration, would you? <laughs> I don't think I would. If anything, like recently I've been doing some little paintings. I've been really enjoying those. Um, it's just a you know, different way of working. I just don't get the satisfaction from working digitally. To me, it just doesn't feel finished. I never know when something's finished when I'm working digitally. I could just go on forever tweaking. I think that's what it is. Like I know, and I'm not happy. I've got to, I've got to get that satisfaction. I'm chasing it. Also, the satisfaction is uh, physical when you're carving. Totally. And like, I love that I've got a stack of every, you know, every image I've ever made, every illustration I've ever done, I've got it, you know, in a, a physically tucked away in, well, actually, it's, I've got a really messy stack of them all at my studio. But one day I'll have an archive. <laughs> What's the part you enjoy the most about line printing? Yeah, that, that just that reveal at the end when you lift the paper off. I'm sure lots of people could say that. It's always like a surprise and I like surprising myself. Oh, I was going to say just the carving as well. Is it very, you know, very different thing to what I was saying, but just the kind of meditative way you can just kind of like sit back with a podcast and just carve away and know that you're making work and um, and you can sort of relax while you're doing it in a way that you can't when you're sketching or you're drawing. Yeah, it's pretty good. But now you have also to tell me the most painful part. It is a pain in the arse to sort of work with sometimes. You know, you cut yourself occasionally and, you know, no matter how, I've been doing it for, what, like 10 years or something and I still cut things the wrong way around sometimes. When you cut, when you, you slip, um, there's no going back. You can't you can't change that. So if it's going to be a print, a physical print, that's going to be in there, that mistake. But that's part of its charm as well, I guess. It is indeed, I agree. Sophie, we have the very last two minutes of the show. Flavors. I would like you to recommend us an Instagram page that you love and then a local spot slash venue in Brighton. The Instagram, I've chosen one called Me Paints Me, which is just an Instagram which posts sort of loads of little paintings and they all kind of have a, a similar kind of vague sort of thread, I guess, of being a bit sort of esoteric in a quite sort of quiet way and sort of darkly whimsical. I just really enjoy it. And it's like, it's, it's current stuff and it's really old stuff and everything in between. Um, and it's very inspiring. It is very inspiring indeed. I'm looking at it in this very moment and ah. I followed it. I didn't know about this place. <laughs> it's really good. Thank you, thank you. How about the local spot venue in Brighton? I think, I mean, again, everything's kind of shut, isn't it, still? And my favourite pub is still shut, which is called The Basket Makers in Brighton. It's just around the corner from my studio. It's a sort of really, they get called old man pubs, but I don't really like that expression. I think it's exclusive, but but yeah, you know what I mean. It's got a carpet and horse brasses and that sort of thing. I like that. And then also I've chosen uh, The Concord too. Yeah, so when I was a teenager, I, you know, that's just where I used to go um, every time there was a show. And it's really beautiful, beautiful old building uh, right on the seafront and in the summer they used to have their doors open so that when bands were playing you could kind of look to your right and the see you would just be there and it's got sort of stained glass windows that the sun would shine through it's just it was a really nice place to see a show they don't really have um, a lot of shows there anymore actually like Sophie we are done thanks a lot it was uh, a pleasure to get to know more about you and your work oh, it was a pleasure for me keep up the good work and I think that everyone who's listening is looking forward to seeing new stuff coming from you oh thank you bye bye sophie bye you just listened to synesthesia the artist behind the artist subscribe to our channel and follow us on instagram at synesthesia underscore podcast